From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. The freelancer is creative, but in a single dimensional kind of way. They trade their time and talent in for money and they make it work. And at some point, folks increase their complexity with their business and they become entrepreneurs. They take their one-dimensional creativity and make it multi-dimensional. Well, these are insights of my friend and colleague, David Jay. DJ and I go way back. Uh, we got our start in the business world around the same time and have had a chance to, from sometimes close proximity and sometimes from a distance, navigate a lot of the same worlds, whether it be freelancing as photographers or building businesses around and beyond the photo industry. It's been amazing to grow and learn as friends. And in today's conversation, I hope it's a gift for many of you to consider where you're at in your entrepreneurial journey. As a freelancer, if that's you, I hope that this is a, a gift to get some perspective and maybe even get a little ahead of the curve, or if it's more complex, as you're navigating the ups and downs of startup life or business life, I hope that this conversation offers some perspective and maybe even some input on how you might adjust your own world to get the most from it. David J, welcome to Converge. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. It's so funny to be friends with someone for as long as we've been friends, because the gift that gives us is perspective. Like we have seen each other in a lot of different contexts and, you know, navigated a lot of different life stages and days we've done it right and days we haven't. And we found grace for each other in the middle of all that. And dude, I have so much a, a kind of respect and sincere gratitude for you in my life and the way you've, even though you're younger, you've played such a significant kind of mentor role to me in so many ways. So I just wanted to go on record on the front end of this conversation and just say, thanks for being the kind of guy that sticks with stuff and really models for others what it means to live life honestly and to not do it perfectly, but just to to try to find your path forward. I think you've really modeled a lot for a lot of people. And I'm one of those people. So rather than kind of add this at the end of the show, I wanted to say it up front. Dude, you're a stud, and I'm really grateful for your contribution. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Dane. It, it means a lot, and the feeling is is so mutual. You know, you've you've been a great friend, and you've supported me, you've challenged me, you've been a great leader in my life, so I'm really grateful for you and for, for what you're doing. Enough with all that warm and fuzzy. Let's get into it. <laughs> so you've, you're, for those who don't know you, David J., which is a little hard to imagine, but if, you, if you're in the, especially the creative space, I know a lot of folks knew you years ago as a photographer, is kind of where you got your start as a service-based professional. And you really took that notion of service seriously. And then from there, you moved into being more of an entrepreneur, uh, opening up a number of businesses with software as a service. And we'll talk about those. And then there's some new iterations in your life, but why don't you just get people caught up a little bit on what was the progress of your of your career? You're right. It was it was just that you know in 2001 I dropped out of college, and you know when you do that, especially in 2001, it's not looked upon very favorably. You know nowadays, especially in the entrepreneurial markets, it's 
it's kind of like a badge of honor. You know, you have all these techie dropout people that get celebrated, but back then it was, it wasn't as, as cool. And, uh, you know, you basically had one option, which was, you know, figure it out, make it work on your own. And I love photography. And so I started um, doing that and then gravitated into, you know, creating things for photographers. And then from, from there is like creating things for other small businesses. And so it's been a pretty natural evolution. Um, but a wild ride, you know, and the, the ups and downs of startups, I think, exist whether you know what you're doing or not. And I certainly didn't know what I was doing. And so I had a lot of fun along the way. Well, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned the beginning. I, I realized that not everyone knows this stuff, but we met when I was teaching at the school you went on to drop out of. And I'm going to not take that personally. That's what I was doing. It's kind of like I remember when I was in, in high school, I dated this girl and later on she became a lesbian. And I remember thinking like, is that, did I contribute to that experience? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know, but uh, yeah. there's a, uh, it's hilarious that that's what you did. And I remember like arguing with you to be like, dude, get this done. You're so close, finish it off. And you're right. You did have it both this kind of clear focused intention around, no, I want to be on the hook. Like I want to have one option where the heat, heat was there and it was, Either we're going to make like burn the bridges, we got to go forward and find a way. And I'm curious, like looking back, not about college or dropping out of college, because I think you're right. There's a lot of confusion about what that's about for even the super success stories. It's way more complicated than they just dropped out and became billionaires. There was something about that for you in those early days that seemed kind of built in or like there was a drive there for you. Talk a little bit about that kind of motivation in, in those early days. Well, it was probably more self-preservation than motivation. I think when you drop out in a culture where most people graduate, well, the people who graduate, they don't really want you to succeed, hmm. right? Hmm. And they say things and they do things, to, you know, to kind of take these little jabs. And so you develop this, you know, pride or, or kind of this, like something to prove. And that was cer that certainly uh, was, it was a big driver for me was I was going to prove to these people that, that I was worth something, even if I didn't have a degree, that I had some value and something to bring to the world. And, you know, I, I don't think that's something you want to live with for the rest of your life. Uh, at some point, you just want to be comfortable in your own skin, uh, not trying to prove everything to the world. But at the beginning, you know, in the 20s, and when there's a lot to do, that's certainly a, a good motivator. Or an effective motivator. Well, yeah, it's funny. It's almost like it was a fuel for you. And we'll talk about like you've traded your fuels. You have a different kind of motivation these days. But I think that you speak for a lot of driven, especially freelancers, people who kind of grown up in a world where it seems like they can do it. Like they, like they have access to the tools. They have access to the to the marketplace that if they just come up with the right idea and execute, that they really have a shot of making something out of nothing. And, and the, yeah, there is a lot of kind of interesting motivations behind folks doing that. As you've seen other folks navigate freelancing life successfully, have you seen other fuels for them uh, besides kind of, your, you know, you're taking the jabs as motivation and just tell me what I can't do and I'll drive, you know, through that wall and make that happen. Are there other kind of early bird 
early in, the, in people's careers, motivations that you've seen now with some perspective where you go, yeah, that works, but it might not work forever. Any other ideas? Yeah, I'm not sure I have too much perspective on it. But, you know, I think the, the better motivations are the selfless ones, the ones that are about other people. And I think those are a little bit longer term, like this desire to contribute something that's, that's not about selfish gains, not about like me proving that I'm, you know, valuable or that I have something good or I created something. It's about like, what is, what's the impact of that? Like, what's that doing for the world? What's that doing for somebody else? I feel like that's a longer term motivation. Whereas the selfish one, it kind of ends with me. Like once I've proven it and I, you know, come to whatever level of success I wanted to, well, then what? And the other style that's about other people, it's like you can always help somebody else and keep moving, moving down the road in that way. That seems like that's been something you've really cared a lot about from the very early days, like serving others felt like you naturally, I think you're a little hard on yourself on the whole jabs for motivation because it felt like you, you drove those towards serving others. And even how you position when you, when you move from the photography space to the entrepreneurial space and selling software, even your bias towards like leading with free and then out of free uh, when there's enough value there, giving people an opportunity to get engaged in a way that supports the business. Talk a little bit about how service has played a role in your motivation. Well, um, I mean, you know, the, the quote that my dad said, you know, he sat me down when I was in um, high school and, you know, I was talking to him about business and trying to understand kind of what he was doing. And he said, you know, if you always make your business about serving other people, you'll always have plenty of work. And it was just one of those things that kind of stuck with me over the years of like, oh, wow, that's really true. There's always people that need help. And if you focus on that and focus on helping others, we'll always have something to do. And uh, the, the financial side of it, you know, will work itself out. And so, yeah, that's certainly been the approach that I've strived for. But like you mentioned earlier uh, in the intro, didn't always hit it. And you mentioned one of your uh, previous girlfriends. <laughs> well, one of my previous girlfriends just wrote a book. And one of the chapters in the book is about kind of that time in my life where I was spiraling and imploding because I had made my whole world about myself and what I was doing. And everyone in it was kind of a player in my kingdom. And uh, it, it was ugly. It got ugly. And um, I'm glad that, you know, that's getting corrected. But, you know, we can hope for the best and work towards the best and still kind of muck it up along the way. And that's what I was doing. I remember maybe five years ago, I heard somebody describe the entrepreneurial life as basically like an opportunity for self-development with a compensation package attached that kind of all of these efforts to create and bring things to market always puts our heart and soul on the line and whatever's there gets revealed. And even then there's an opportunity, right? For all of us to go, well, well now what? Now I know this, what do I do with it? In that season, like what were the catalysts for you to kind of go, I'm making progress, I'm succeeding, but I, I really want to turn and try something new. Was it just a sense of like, this isn't working for me personally or were there, were there people who spoke into your life or what was it that made it, made you want to shift your, your drive? 
Yeah, well, I, I don't think I wanted to. I think I it had to kind of get ripped away, you know, in 2008 happened and people had been speaking into my life all along the way, you know. I mean, you, you came to me at a coffee shop with a book in hand called Love is the Killer App and you know, it was a, it was a gentle gracious way of saying, "Hey man, like you need to correct course." And so there's a lot of people kind of circling around saying the same thing to me, but it took things really spiraling and our company we had to go through a huge round of layoffs which you know in a startup these people become your family and when you run out of money and you have to let them all go that's really brutal and it's it's hard and so you know when that happens everyone I work with which is my family is gone my girlfriend was gone you know it's like oh my gosh like what's left and uh, and so I think that's, you know, unfortunately, the way that it plays out for a lot of us is like, we don't intentionally make this choice. It just, it kind of happens to us. It's a result of our, our actions. I've heard it said that there's kind of three triggers for these complex moments you're describing that this is Ted's talk guy, uh, Bill Eggstrom, who talks about either something happens to you, or you get coached into it, or you choose it. And mm. it seems like in your case, you've experienced all three. <laughs> As you, uh, well, I, I want to ask, talk about two things. One is in the midst of something happening to you, you were also looking at, I guess at that point, you'd already moved a little bit away from you as kind of service-based professional to now you're creating kind of scalable products and selling those. So I want to hear a little bit about that dynamic. And at what point did you realize as a freelancer, you wanted to to build something a little different. But then the second question relates to what you're just describing that moment when something happened to you and you didn't just like take it in the chin and crumble. You, you responded and you sought counsel and you looked for ways to relate in a new way. So I guess two parts. The first part is, could you just comment a little bit before we lose track of it? What was that moment for you as a freelancer where you went, no, I want to build something bigger than me that scales was that driven by money or was it a problem to solve or like as folks at home are listening, how would you direct somebody over coffee to figure out when is it time to take the leap to something bigger? And then the second question, and if you forget about it, I'll remind you what it is. The second question is more about when things were happening to you, just like folks at home are listening, when things are happening to them, how would you direct somebody over coffee to say, Hey, you know, this is normal you know, whether it happens to you or you're getting coached into it or something else, pursuing a uh, higher and better, how would you direct somebody to go and do that? Mm -hmm. For me, it was, uh, I would say more like a natural evolution than a big jump or a leap. You know, it happened over time over the course of a couple of years and it just fit me better. Doing photography was wonderful and creative and, and I really enjoyed it. It's an awesome career. But for me, it was kind of a one-dimensional type of creativity, you know, where you're looking at composition and color and some mechanics of photography. Whereas building a company where there's multiple people that all have different, you know, motivations and personalities and giftings, and you're trying to combine that together into a work of art that is a product or something like that, it was just a new challenge and one that... I've really enjoyed. I, I love people. I know you love people. And 
if you don't love people, it probably shouldn't be in business. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, it turned, uh, I would say there was a point where I had to like turn the other off and say, okay, I'm done of photography. But it wasn't like this glamorous, like I'm going all in on this and I'm risking it all. You know, I don't think we have to live that way. You know, I still enjoyed photography. So I let it happen as it was supposed to happen. And I'm thankful for that approach. And I think that's a good approach for most people. Not to say that, you know, commitment and sacrifice aren't part of it. You know, it's, it's like, hey, you've got to do that. If you're going to start a company, there's going to be a lot of sacrifice and you're going to have to commit to it and push through. But if you got a family, like, don't be an idiot and just like go quit your job because you have this dream. Like, let it play out, work at night, do some stuff along the way while you keep that job. So funny. I promise I'll get back to the second question later, but I don't want to lose track of this because it's so interesting to me. You've said this a couple of times, let it happen and let it play out. You're almost, It sounds like you're describing something that wants to happen and you're participating with it. You're paying attention to it, whatever it is. Can you just reflect yeah. a little bit about uh, what that means to you? Because I think that's really intriguing because I think a lot of folks have that intuitive sense of like something wants to come out in life, in my life, and my life uniquely I want to get out of its way or, you know, invite it out in a way that is going to work sooner than later. What what do you think about that stuff? Oh, I think the biggest mistakes that I've made that have cost me the most money and burned the most relationships is when I forced something into existence before it was ready. You know, I'm an early adopter. I'm an innovator. I'm a creative. Like, I'm seeing the future, right? And I'm right more than I'm wrong. And that's why I'm still in business. But what's happened consistently is I've seen something that I knew was going to happen and I've built it, created it, released it to the market. And the market looks at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, this is amazing, right? And it takes two or three years for it to actually, you know, catch on. I mean, an example of this is I went to Pictage in 2007 at a retreat up in Canada and told them, I just want a way to deliver my files digitally. And TikTok looks at me like I was crazy, right? So I went over to SmugMug, tried to talk them into doing it. And, you know, they didn't do it the way I wanted to. So then I created it in 2011 as past. Well, it didn't catch on until 2013. And then it really took off in 2014. Seven years after I was like pissed that TikTok wouldn't do it. And so when you look back on it, you're like, well, they were actually right. Because if they had done it, then they would have really gotten hosed over the next seven years. Now, the fact that they didn't change and they're out of business now, you know, I think is uh, an example of the flip side where people aren't flexible and you can be, you know, you can lack flexibility on the front end or on the back end and either one can kill you, but bringing products or ideas to market at the right time is something that I'm having to learn. And, you know, you look at guys like Steve Jobs, most of the stuff that he brings to market existed 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, FaceTime, like we have video calling in the 90s, (laughs) video phones, right? Yeah, crazy. You know, and so he brings it out and, you know, 15 years after that as this revolutionary, innovative product. And it's like, no, it's not, but it's at the right time. Mm. And that seemed to be his gift was 
seeing what was really good and bringing it to the market when the market wanted it. I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. whcc.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity podcast. Are there any like rules of thumb or kind of ways that you, when you have a new idea, you ask yourself where you can tell if it's ripe or not? Like, is there a way to like tap the coconut and figure out if it's ready? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say there is. And I I think it's something that, well, I know it's something I'm not very good at, but I think it's something that our world is really lacking. And that's just listening. You know, we don't like to listen. Here we are on a podcast talking, Hmm. but that seems to be the, the trick is shutting up for a little bit and listening to people and they'll tell you what they need. The more you do that, the more you'll get a sense of like what the world needs, not like what I want to build or what I want to create. Mm. Because, you know, if you look at the bell curve of people, like most people are not innovators and early adopters, right? Mm. Most people are on the flip side of all that. And they're not going to change until they absolutely have to change. And so those are the people that we need to listen to because that's where the bulk of the market is. I think that so much of, at least the conversations I'm in with freelancers and entrepreneurs, if you look underneath what people are talking about, it seems like a lot of the conversation is really about fear and risk. Like, when do people go all in? When do people hold back, make little bets, try to read the market? Especially in the moment we're in right now, in the kind of culture of entrepreneurship that we live in. When you, can you say a little bit more about the kind of listening I'd be listening for? Like, so I come up with an idea I'm wondering if it's ready for right now or not. And you do this all the time. In fact, this is your third wave of your career is this notion of kind of incubating really fun, cool ideas and trying to sort through how to position it and time it right for the market. Talk a little bit more of the connection point between listening to the marketplace, but then trying stuff to see if your assumptions are right. Yeah, this is why I think we are living in the absolute coolest time, especially in tech. And the reason is because we can get ideas to market really quickly and really cheaply and see if the market wants it and then, you know, iterate or throw it away. And you're not out a million dollars, you're out a few thousand dollars. And that wasn't possible five years ago. You know, certainly wasn't possible 10 years ago. And so we just did a kind of a test this year where we want to see how quickly we could get to an MVP of a product. And by MVP, you mean minimally viable product. Right. Keep going. Yeah. So a few years ago, we built Agree.com. It cost over a million dollars in development costs. And that was, we had a team, we worked with an outsourced team. We were trying to do it as efficiently as we could, but over a million bucks in just development costs. This year, built Warm Welcome for $10,000. So we're talking 1%. This is how fast tech is moving. I mean, 1% of the cost to build a product now as it was five or 10 years ago. Wow. And so when you can build a product, an MVP of a product for 10 grand, you know, or or less and introduce it to some people, have some phone calls, get their feedback on it. You know, you're not as, as committed to it. You're saying like, okay, Hey, what do you think? 
and they'll give you some things and you can go tweak it. And then this person will tell you some stuff and you can tweak it. And pretty soon you have something that fits, you know, the market because it wasn't just, you know, one person's idea that they like, you know, bulldozed through every wall to make this product. And then the the market is like, huh? Mm. And they're stuck on it. Mm. And it's, it's like, no, get the market, get the product to market fast, get feedback on it. You know, you talk about feedback loops. Well, it's hard to do that without a working product, you know, but if you can have a working product that they can click through and do something with, and they can send it out to their clients, you can get a lot better feedback. So that's our process is getting something to market quickly as an MVP, getting feedback, iterate, you know, feedback, iterate, feedback, iterate, and then releasing or calling it a V1 at some point. Dude, there's so much in that. And I think that as folks are at home and they want to test these ideas out, well, first of all, you mentioned one of your newer products, Warm Welcome. Is that so MVP that people can't check it out or is there a place where people can go look at that? People can check out the website. We're not letting anybody in quite yet. I can let you in. But, <laughs> I'm in. Pick me. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, it's, it's actually probably at more of a V1 place at this point. Yeah. But right now, we're just kind of looking at what markets it's going to be kind of best fitting. So, so later today, I'm having a conversation with the guy, Dusty Baker, who you probably know. I do. Um, yeah. So, I'm talking with him. He's a big dog, real estate agent in Santa Barbara. And so, we're doing this. Like, I sent him a warm welcome last week. He said, whoa, that's amazing. He said, let's hop on a call. So, we're hopping on a call today. I'm going to share some more and get some feedback from him, listen to what he has to say about it. And then I'll put that stuff in, in the product if it's, if it's a fit and uh, keep moving forward. And so that's where, that's where I'm kind of sitting in, in the, the space right now. Like it's kind of biz dev, but it's more on the product side than the marketing side. Mm. And then if he gives you feedback that is helpful or not, how do you tell which is the helpful information and which isn't? And then the other part that you mentioned earlier was, you know, if it doesn't work and you just spend a couple thousand dollars, you kill it or you, you shelf it or you do whatever, doesn't that hurt a little bit? Because I know a lot of folks, they just get, they fall in love with their ideas so hard. I know I do this. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't want to kill my babies. Like that just feels challenging to do. How do you keep a kind of a healthy distance to be able to kind of let something go or hold it loosely? Any thoughts on that too? On the feedback side, you know, it's good to talk to a lot of people and then distill it down yeah. into yeah. kind of main themes. You know, otherwise your product would get so crazy complicated because everyone will want you to build it for them. And they're like, well, everyone does things the way I do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. So, yeah, I think the more people that you can talk to, the better before you kind of decide. And then on the other question, which I'm trying to remember. (laughs) How do you kill ideas? Oh, my gosh. I'm like too good at that. So, my former business partner, Todd, who runs Show It, which is epic, epic website design platform. We built that together in 2007, 2008, jammed on it. It was a great company. And then as we were building Pass, I just wanted to build Pass. And so, I was like, you know, forget Show It. Like, let's move on. Let's do the next thing. And he felt like it had a lot of life left in it. And so that was a splitting point in our partnership. Mm. He said, hey, I'll take show it. You take pass. We'll go our separate ways. And so 
that's been kind of my MO is I'm always moving on Mm. and I'm always looking for kind of the next, either the next idea or the next blue ocean. And when a space gets too bloody and it's too like, there's just a lot of competition and negativity and all that, like I'm going to compete in an area that I can win in and I'll win when the game is played around innovation. And so that's where I keep pushing. Other people will win in those more competitive, bloody spaces because they're they're good at that um, and they like that. Uh, so kind of building building your business or or your product around the gifts that you have, not that you not the ones you want to have, but the ones that you actually have, and letting that be a driver for your company is is good because you you know you stay happy. You're doing what what you like to do, and it's bringing value along the way. I love that. You know, not everyone is built like you, although our world would be a better place if it was. And they aren't all kind of early adopters, innovators. And this relates to the thing, the question I left way back (laughs) forever ago. Talk a little bit about self-awareness and self-knowledge. And again, the coffee question, you're having coffee with somebody, someone who they're getting some feedback in their own life that, man, they're doing life and they might even have a little success, but they might be kind of driving off the wrong fuel. And you're like, you know, if you were just a little bit more aware of how you're built uniquely and how you're come from, how you're wired, how does somebody develop that kind of self-awareness? And maybe just, you don't have to answer for the world, but like how, this is the question I had before, how did you come to some of these self-awareness moments? So you mentioned 2008 and something happening to you, but you've also, you're married, your family's growing. You've navigated some really interesting terrain. You've also gotten actively chosen to get coaching in your life and all that sort of stuff. But so the whole question is really around how does somebody learn about themselves and then build their business life around how they're built uniquely and maybe tell that through the lens of how you've done that? I mean, this is one of those things that's brutal for probably most of us. And I think most people don't just walk into that kind of with a smile on their face. I certainly didn't. You know, I was on a walk with my wife maybe six months into our marriage, and we went down to get a drink at a uh, place in Santa Barbara. And she said, Hey, do you mind if I share something with you? And right away, it's like, Okay, uh, I'm busted. And I said, You know, of course, babe. And she said, You know what? You're a bully. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what? You know, if you ask anybody, they're going to say DJ is the nicest guy. Like, he's, you know, doing this or that, like, whatever. And she said, you know, what I hear is going on at work and the way that I feel, you're just a bully. Dang, this is uh, not good. And um, later that week, I was down at some friend's house, uh, Gary and Jeannie Parsons. And uh, they had a friend over there, Jeremy Kubitschek. And I didn't know who he was, but he shared a little bit about what he does in kind of the business space. And I was like, okay, I got to share with this guy, like what's going on in my life because I'm upside down. Share a little bit about his company, just so people have context. He has a company called Giant Worldwide. Their mission is to transform leadership and to build liberating leaders through every circle of influence. And so I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about this company, but I was like, dude, I need some help. (laughs) 
And so anyway, I, I shared with him what was going on. And he said, hey, why don't you come out to Atlanta and be part of this thing that we're doing? It's a year-long apprenticeship. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to raise up a bunch of mirrors and we're going to show you what it's like to be on the other side of you. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. Well, not cool. <laughs> um, it was six months that were just brutal seeing and feeling what it's like to be on the other side of me, what it's like for my wife to be on the other side of me, what it's like for my employees to be on the other side of me, what it's like for my friends to be on the other side of me, and to to see these tendencies that I have that have some really good sides to them, but have some dark sides to them. And so, you know, after those kind of initial six months where I'm now acknowledging, like, yeah, I'm doing that. Well, then they can start to work with you and say, okay, well, cool. Like, now let's move forward. And so, you know, for another year and a half, um, kind of walked with this group giant through a lot of that stuff. And it's a lifelong thing, but understanding it, knowing it, they say you have to know yourself to lead yourself and you can't lead yourself until, or you can't lead others until you can lead yourself. And so that's the foundation of it. It's like, we got to get a grip on who we are and how that affects the people around us and then work from the inside out, you know, ourself, our family, then our team, then our company, then the community, which is kind of flipped from the way most, you know, CEOs and most pastors and most people think about it. Most people go straight to the community, straight to the their clients, but then their family falls apart, right? And so they lose all their influence and their life gets turned upside down. So that was maybe long-winded, but that was my kind of journey through all that. It's so encouraging, man, because I, I just know, I know there's people listening right now who are like, they're getting disconfirming data in their life. They're like, I'm succeeding in one category but I'm, I'm getting feedback that my success doesn't actually lead to other people's experience of success with me. And like there, it could be a spouse that feels like a complainer, but actually is trying to love by sharing honestly. <laughs> and it just, I don't, I don't want, you know, they don't want to hear it. Or it could be, you know, I built this really cool product, but no one's buying it. Or, you know, I got fired from my job or like there's so many different kinds of feedback that come our way, even like health related, like, why am I sick? Why do I weigh 40 pounds more than I should <laughs> or whatever? And your humility is a gift for a lot of folks because it's an invitation, I think, for folks to go, well, what if there was something to the feedback that would be helpful to learn about? Like, just pretend. Like, if there was something in here for you to get, what would be helpful? Because mm -hmm. when I look at your life now, I mean, you're flourishing. You're flourishing. You got a family that's, I mean, you're trying still st stuff. You're still an entrepreneur. You're still going for it. You're still on the line all the time. But my experience of you is that you seem to be in the midst of the complexity of this multidimensional creativity that you're describing. You seem to be alive. And I, I don't want to paint that falsely. Does that, does that sound accurate to you and your experience of your life? Yeah. I mean, I feel healthier than ever in my pursuit of things, mm. you know, and I, and I think part of that is because there's an order to it. Mm. Whereas before it was like, whatever kind of creative thing was inspiring me at the moment, I'd sprint after where now, you know, saying, okay, I need to, I need to be healthy. And then it needs to move from the inside out. And my family has got to be the next circle of influence. 
and then my team, right? My immediate team, not the whole company, but just the people that I interact with. And that might come at a cost to the entire company or to the clients, but that's the order and that's the way that it's going to go. And the, the biggest ROI that that I've seen is when I invest time in making sure that I'm healthy and my family's healthy. Mm. And then the ripple effects of that go out into the team, into the company, into the community. But when the internal stuff isn't healthy, whew, you know, it's like your body, if your gut's not healthy, your whole body is jacked up. Mm. And so you got to work it from the inside out. Mm. Any other life habits or things you'd encourage folks to start with? If they're like, there's something in what he's saying, I don't know where to start. Where would you encourage somebody to start in ordering their life a little different? I think that it's really helpful to get a language around it because, you know, language creates culture, right? And Giant teaches a lot of this. And um, one of the nice things about getting on a common language like Giant provides is it depersonalizes everything. Because now it's not, you know, Dane is this way or DJ is that way. It's, right. It's more about creating a culture of health and a, a culture where people are for one another. Mm. And their tendencies, they may have, ten- we all have tendencies, right? But if we, if we look at that as, a, hey, that's this person's tendency, it's not them. And they get to choose in any given moment whether, whether they're going to respond in a certain way. And so that's where, you know, we all have choices. And if we all commit to something and say, okay, I want to be healthier, I want to be this type of leader, well, then I think we can, we can start to talk about it in a way that is productive rather than destructive, you know, rather than just pointing fingers and trying to chop down our leaders, right? You see that in the world today, like crazy, Mm. whether it's Elon Musk or Donald Trump, like, everyone's trying to chop down these leaders and we need them. And so I think for each of us just to kind of dive into that a little bit in whatever way is comfortable, right? I mean, you could go through Myers-Briggs. It's like a simple tool that will reveal a lot of tendencies about you Mm. and you can choose whether you accept them or not. Um, You know, people always say, I don't even put in a box, but don't worry about the box. Just look at like the tendencies. And if you can't, you know, if you can't share five, you know, negative tendencies that you have, well, you're probably not that self-aware, right? That's just stuff that we all have, but people just shut their eyes to it and pretend like it doesn't exist. And everyone around them knows that it exists. Hmm. Okay. Easy last question. Big softball over the plate. What's the future of entrepreneurship? <laughs> And I I mean it because we're in a great moment, but what's coming, do you think? Yeah, well, we're building everything around the belief that the future is personal. And uh, that's something that, you know, we certainly believe it and we're we're seeing it happen. And so the way that we kind of approach this stuff is is we look for the needs. When we talk to people, we try to feel out, try to sense out, like, what is their need? And if you can start to identify those, those needs across, you know, a market or across the world, and then you can create something to meet that need, that's great. That helps. That changes the world. Like not just in like a cliched generic phrase, but it literally changes the world. Mm. 
And tech went so far and so fast towards automation and robots and blah, 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 blah. You know, and we have all these work from home, you know, our, our entire company's distributed. So it's like all these things kind of isolated people from people. And so now we're swinging back, right? Humans are creatures of overreaction. So we're swinging back and like everyone wants to get together now at coffee shops and co-working spaces and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But if we can use technology to do positive things that bring people together and that create more personal interactions instead of divide people and create more separation, uh, we think the world will be a better place. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating all sorts of stuff that drives at that in very practical, useful ways, you know, that help companies be more personal and more profitable. It doesn't come at the expense of profit. Both of those things should come so that it can be sustainable. That's where I hit that, that lob. Dude, we're going to stop right there. That's awesome. Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. I'm not lying. Like I, the notes, the most selfish thing I do is this podcast because all I do is like get all insights that you're reading my own mail as you're describing your own situation. This is episode five, season four of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. Converge podcast is brought to you by fastermind.co where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your Fastermind underscore. Go to fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.